Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 36 of my podcast, I Stand Strong. I, as always, am Teddy, coming at you from my bear cave in the concrete jungle of the beautiful Midwest. Uh, beautiful, windy Midwest at the moment. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, here I am again. Woo! Uh, can't remember what my last episode was. I didn't do my research, so... Uh, I guess I'm just going to kind of go into what this topic today is. Um, I'm just going to kind of talk about some recent horror movies I watched, because I was really floundering to find a topic, and this one just came to mind. Um, so yeah, like, you know, I, I made it very clear I'm a huge horror fan. Um, and as I've been settling, I've finally been starting to catch up on some of them that I, uh, I have missed for a while, and these are not all... Um, I should be clear, these are not all movies that are really recently released. Some of these are ones that I found through other podcasts and, you know, go back to, you know, a couple years all the way to like 20 some odd years ago. Um, but I'm just now getting around to watching them. So, yeah. So I'm just going to talk about the ones I recently watched that are new to me that I really liked. Um Okay, so I guess I'll just start with, it looks like the first one I put on here was um, Smile from 2022, directed by Parker Finn. Um, Really wasn't familiar with this person, but uh, I listened to another podcast called Colors of the Dark, um, and the director, or the hosts of that show really talked up this movie, and I want to say they actually had an episode that had an interview with the guy, and he seemed really interesting. Um... So at some point in time, I had tracked down a Blu-ray of it, um, and it actually has a, in the special features, it has the short that was kind of the, I guess you could say in a way it was a proof of concept for this movie. I cannot remember what it was called, because it wasn't called Smile itself. It was, the short was called, like it was like a name, but it was like someone's someone hasn't slept, like Jennifer hasn't slept or something like that. Um, I really should have done that research before I got on here, but, uh, but yeah, anyways, it's a very creepy movie. Um, and I, I'm going to try not get into spoilers on these ones cause some of these are fairly new, but I'm, so I'm just going to kind of talk about them, but, um, yeah, smiles about a psychologist and she's kind of dealing with her own stuff. But then one day this girl comes in just completely like completely, you know, chaotically about, you know, and then, or not chaotic, uh, like she's very frantic and she keeps saying this, this creature is stalking her, but the only way she can, like, it can look like anyone, but the way she always knows it is it will be smiling at her. And we're not talking like just a normal smile. The, The smile that this creature uses are just creepy as shit um but yeah so this girl comes in anyways you know she's and she's talking her down like talk trying to talk to her and figure out you know get a diagnosis on this girl and the girl gets so worked up to the point that she like kills herself in front of this doctor um so the doctor like calls for medical staff all this kind of stuff and then when she turns around, the girl is standing up again, but giving like this 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 creepy ass smile. And the rest of the movie is kind of just this, you know, it's this doctor now has somehow like I guess by seeing this person die in front of her, um, now has this demon spirit. They never really make it clear what exactly it is, but like stalking her and. It is really, really, really creepy, really atmospheric, but it also, like, you know, like a lot of my my favorite movies that I've seen recently, it does kind of have a little bit of a a subcontext into unresolved grief and, you know, depression and anxiety and whatnot. Um, Because as the movie goes, you do find out there's a lot in the, the... the past of this psychologist who, or, you know, that, that really hasn't really been taken care of, I guess you could say. 
it was never, you know, she, she had some losses in her past that are very, very much still affecting her, even though she doesn't, you know, doesn't want to admit it. Um, and yeah, it just, it's very unsettling, but it works. And I mean, you can't, you can read it as just a a movie with a a creature. I mean, it, it, in many ways, it kind of does have similar things to it follows where there's only one person that sees this thing. Cause nobody else can see this, this creature. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, as, as the movie goes, they do introduce some, some really good side characters. I mean, they're the, the main character's sister comes in and you kind of gather that there's some, you know, there's definitely some bad blood between them. And as they go, it kind of does, resolve what it is but um and then there's like her i want to say he was an ex-boyfriend played by kyle gallner i only remember him because he was on smallville and i loved smallville um he played kid flash well bart allen impulse kid flash whatever he whatever he called himself on that show um and he plays a cop and he kind of becomes like the only person that believes believes the main character that sh- there's something going on that's not right. And he tries to help her. Um, without getting into spoilers, the, the ending of the movie is a little bit batshit insane, but it is really well done. Um, yeah, it's, and it does kind of leave, it may or may not have left groundwork for if they want to do more in this universe. I'm kind of okay if they don't. But it could be interesting to see what they would do with expanding it. Just, But at the same time, it'd be fine if they never explained the creature. I think it almost works better not knowing what, what exactly it is. Um, and it does another thing right by not being a horribly long movie. You know, it, it's maybe nine, you know, it's maybe 90, 90 to 100 minutes long, which... You know, I was just thinking the other day that, like, you know, the Marvel movies are great, but sometimes it's like it's it's a chore to watch them because they, for some reason, they can't make a Marvel movie that's not two and a half, three hours long anymore. And it's like, dude, solid 90 minutes. It's all you need. You don't need to, you know, embellish so much. Um, but anyways, that's another whole rant I could go on. Um, so, yeah, Smile. Uh, last time I checked, it was streaming on either Peacock or Hulu. Really good movie. I really suggest it. If you like a horror movie, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what other people say about it. Cause I, I, I kind of wonder if maybe my, my attachment to movies that do kind of handle mental illness well, makes it stand out a little better for me. Um, but anyways. So yeah, smile. Um, okay, my next one is tech. It is actually a sequel, but um, and I'd seen the 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 other one, like the the first one, a while back. Um, just before I saw trailers for the one I'm gonna talk about, which is Wormwood Apocalypse. Um, it is a sequel to Wormwood Road Road of the Dead, I believe is what it's called. Um, <coughs> And it is directed by, oh man, I might just massacre this name, Kaya Rausch-Turner. It is an Australian uh, zombie movie. I believe it's Australian. It's either Australian or New Zealand. I'm pretty sure it's Australian. Um, But it is, the first one kind of like... Just is is about a guy trying to find his sister who, when a zombie apocalypse breaks out, and his wife and kid get infected, he has to kill them. So like his sister's the only one he has left, and he goes on a rescue mission. But the the zombies are done differently. They are fast moving. They're not like uber fast like in the Zack Snyder Dawn of the Dead or um. Oh God! What was the twenty-eight? The twenty-eight days later, twenty-eight weeks later movies, but they definitely move faster than you know. They're they're not Romero zombies where they're just sauntering at you, um, but they also have like this aspect of like they're always breathing like this fume, 
which later plays into the fact they can be used as a, like a fuel source. Um, but anyway, so that's the first. The second one takes place. It kind of makes it sound seem like it's like almost right after the first one. Um, but this this guy who you know in the first one he rescues his sister. She's been mildly infected to the point that like she's like almost kind of like Ala Miljovovich in the Resident Evil movie. She's like bonded with this virus, so it allows her to control zombies. It, it's it's definitely a, a out there movie. It is not taking they, neither of the movies take themselves too seriously, which is I think why they work to me. Like if if this movie was played too straight, I think it would probably would have bombed to me. But um. Anyways, yeah, so like this one, it's the guy and his sister are, at the beginning of the movie, the sister's apparently losing control of, like she's she's going a little more feral unless she feeds off like blood. Um, she Or like this special serum or whatever. But like, so she's, she's slowly going feral and she attacks these people that like she, they're, the, the brother and sister are now hanging, are now like running with. And even though that wasn't really set up in the first one, from what I remember. But anyway, so like the the two people they're running with, like basically run away because the older sister was bitten and the younger sister is, you know, just went with her. Um, and while they're on the run, they get cat like their car gets hit by like this military group, which was set up in the first one. Like there's this military group kind of working in the background. And you really don't know exactly what they're working on, but you know they're doing something nefarious. They're kind of the big bads. Um, and there's this guy that's working for them that his brother was killed in the first movie. So he hates the the guy and his sister because they were responsible for his brother's death. <clears throat> but anyway, so it's... You know, but anyway, so this this guy that works for the gov- this military group or whatever runs him off the road. He takes the older sister and turns her over to like the scientists and whatnot. And then he he doesn't even know about the younger sister. So the younger sister retracts down the brother and sister, and they you know the the t- the two main characters. I really should have memorized names for this. Um, but really, the names kind of like get lost in because tr- it's like. The movie's just so crazy that, like, I, I can't remember their names. But, yeah, so, like, she teams back up with them. They end up basically convincing this this contractor, the guy that turned over the older sister, to to the group, to the military. You know, like, they, they convince him to join them because they basically show him that the military, this military group, are the big bad guys. And chaos, and, or, like, you know... Hilarity ensues, I guess you could say. Um, but yeah, so it's... Like I said, it's definitely got that kind of like... That Australian sense of humor to it. But at the same time, it does have some pretty graphic violence at points. I mean, you do get some points where people are just getting ripped apart by the zombies. Or, you know, some of the stuff with the 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 scientists that has the the older of the sisters you know like she like he does some gnarly things to people and yeah at some point in time it devolves into a fight between the the woman that can control zombies and this mecha zombie so to speak um that's being like controlled remotely by the scientists through like like almost like uh VR control and it like I know this like I'm doing these movies no justice because they are just so out there but fun but they're crazy. Uh you get a little bit of Mad Max kind of feel with like some of the vehicles, like especially some of the chases they do with it. Um but you know yeah it's they're fun movies. I really suggest take, taking a look at them. They may not be your bag. They, you may see the same thing I do where it's just like the the schlocky fun. But um yeah, so that's Wormwood Apocalypse from and that was from uh 2021, so still keeping it kind of recent. Um 
Yeah, I guess I'll go with another one from 2021, and that is uh, Malignant, directed by James Wan. Um, you know, famous for writing, or was it co-writing the first Saw movie? And then, of course, he's responsible for Insidious movies, the Conjuring universe. Um, but no, Malignant was like him kind of like, from what I heard, or from what I remember hearing, he it was like him basically like he was... He's kind of getting burned out with the, the the you know the ghost house movies of the Conjuring universe and whatnot, so he decided to do something a little different, and this movie is definitely different. Um, this movie follows a uh, a lady named Maggie, and in the beginning of the movie, she's pregnant and she's coming home because she wasn't feeling good, uh, and her. I don't know, did they ever say it's her husband or her boyfriend? I don't know, it was the father of her kid. Um, she comes home and he's still there and he's giving her a hard time about like, well, maybe you shouldn't be working if you're not, you know, if you're not feeling good. And it leads to a fight and he, they, you know, you, you get the point very quickly that he's he's an abusive person. And she she kind of talks back to him a little bit. And after he makes a horrible statement alluding to the fact that she's had several miscarriages. And he slams her head against the wall. And he instantly goes into like remorse, like realizing what he's done. And he goes to get her some aspirin. And she locks him out of the bedroom. Um, and that night she has like a vision, like as if she's watching this this killer come in and kill her boyfriend. And then he, it chases her throughout the house. And she, you know, she hides behind the door again. You know, she locks the door and everything And this thing, busts the door open, knocks her out. And then she wakes up and, you know, she's basically in a crime scene. Her husband's dead and she's, you know, she's passed out on the floor. And what follows goes really insane. Cause you know, I, I'm leaving out like the opening sequence because the opening sequence is very, very jarring as far as its its hokey nature to do with like you know just the 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 uh, some of the some of the dialogue in the opening sequence is over the top bad, but it's it's kind of awesome. Um, but then through the rest of the movie, you kind of follow this this girl Maggie and her her sister. Um, as they're trying to figure out what the heck is going on because Maggie keeps getting visions of this killer attacking and killing these people. She doesn't know who they are. She just sees her, them killing. So like, they're trying to figure out like why she has this link to this killer for some reason. And it does bring in some cops. Cause like there's two cops that are investigating the murders as they go and they, slowly start finding you know more and more clues to it and this this is one i really don't want to spoil if you haven't seen the ending of this movie you kind of have to see the 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 reveal at, at the end on your own um but i think what really stands out to me in this movie is the way they do her seeing these visions um like the first time it really really plays with it um She's like doing laundry at her house. It's like the first night she's in the house by herself after <clears throat> after getting out of the hospital from oh that's the, I missed that part. Yeah, she wakes up and when she wakes up after the the initial attack that killed her her husband or boyfriend or whatever he was, she's in the hospital and she finds out she had another miscarriage. And so like she goes like I said the first night she's home She's doing some laundry or whatever, and all of a sudden she sees this person's face in the the door of her front load washer, and she scrambles back against like this island in her kitchen. And as she hits the island in the kitchen, it like pans around her, and as it pans around, like you see the room around her morphing to the point that she's like in somebody else's house watching this killer kill this lady. And it is really well done. Um the the cinematography in this movie is amazing. Um, I want to say there's a lot of practical effects because there's only a couple points where I could really point to and say, yeah, that has to be done CGI. <clears throat> um, but yeah, so like I'm so since I don't want to go into the the 
the spoiler territory. I'll just say like this movie is worth it just at least to get to. There's a scene in a police station in the last like half hour of the movie that is just amazing. The choreography is just brilliant. Um, some of the CGI plays in there, but it's it's also right about the reveal of the killer and everything. And it's it's just amazingly awesome to watch this sequence. Like the way it slowly builds to this point and then bam, it happens and goes off the rails with insanity. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely one I suggest it's, it is very horror, but at the same time, it, it's not, once again, I have a feeling it just doesn't really, it's not trying to be overly serious. I mean, the, the batshit insanity of the movie, it, it couldn't take itself too seriously, but, um, yeah, so Malignant, I really highly suggest I think it's probably my favorite James Wan movie next to the original Saw. Because I really like the original Saw. I just think after that, like Saw 2 was okay. After that, it's just like, to me, it just kind of got old. It just became about watching people die. It really wasn't, um, they really weren't too brainy of movies to me. Um, the first one was very cerebral to me. It was very minimalist. And maybe that's what made the first Saw movie great. This one's not minimalist, but it's definitely, you know, you get to see another side of James Wan and it works. Um, okay. So I will now jump to the far flung past of 2016 for a great movie starring... On uh, Brian Cox and Emil Hirsch. It's a very, you know, very in, like very small movie uh, called The Autopsy of Jane Doe. Um, and t- doing research for this, I f- did not, until I did the research, I did not realize that Andre, I think it's Andre Overdahl is how you pronounce it, directed this movie. Um, but it's just a. Uh, a single set, pretty almost a single set movie. Cause I think the beginning of the movie does show like a murder scene where this body is found like perfectly preserved body and it gets taken to, um, a, uh, Oh God, would it be a mortuary or, you know, like they, they bring it to Brian Cox and his son played by Emil Hirsch to do like an autopsy on it to f- try to figure out who this lady is you know, and what killed her. And it is incredibly atmospheric. Um, Cause like the, the more they dig into the autopsy, the weirder, like the more questions there are about who this, this body is and why was she in this house kind of thing. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's the whole movie is, mostly just Emil Hirsch and Brian Cox interacting. Um, there's a little bit of backstory to the fact that apparently, you know, it's, it's pretty clear that Brian Cox and Emil Hirsch are very, you know, they, they have a, a bumpy past since the death of Emil Hirsch's mother. Um, and maybe, maybe Emil Hirsch doesn't want to f- keep doing the family business of, you know, being, you know, doing these, these autopsies and whatnot. Um, like I said, I can't remember if it's a, if it's necessarily just an Emmy, he's like just an Emmy in the, in, in this building, or if he's a, or if Brian Cox and his son are just like, you know, they're more, you know, uh, morticians, but anyway, so like, you know, yeah, it's, but I think another thing that makes this movie work and, whoever it is they got to play the Jane Doe never in that movie do I feel like I'm looking at a live person but it is an actual an actress just laying there the entire movie um well anytime the body is on scene on set at least they never used a dummy they never used a mannequin or anything like that it's always this actress laying on the table and it almost makes it more creepy because of that fact um, maybe I should say only the, the, it's, it's always the actress when you see her face. Cause I'm pretty sure like as they're doing the autopsy, 
probably not actually the lady unless they like just like had a fake body with like her head on it or something but yeah it's it's a great little just atmospheric very claustrophobic feeling for the most part um i mean there is like the occasional appearance of uh emil hirsch's girlfriend is there like when he because they were supposed to go out on a date and he tells her you know like hey what we'll to put it off a little bit i want to help my dad with this this one last autopsy kind of thing um and it you know it it does some really good stuff with the uh the infamous like i, I, I you know any excuse me anybody out there listening knows a lot about like the whole the idea of putting bells um attached to you know the the autopsy door in case there was like a mistake that somebody was declared dead, you know, they'd put like, basically they'd put like something either in the drawer they were in, or I can't remember if it was like a cord on their toe sometimes. I just know there was something that was basically rigged up. So like if somebody were to try to, like if somebody were accidentally declared dead and they woke up, they would move and it would ring this bell. Well, they do that a couple, they they use that kind of an idea a couple times. And it is creepy when that that stuff comes into play um yeah it's it's a good one and i have a feeling that it'll be one that ages really well because like i said it's a lot of practical effects i don't think there's any cgi that i could detect in the movie then again i'm not perfect on thinking i can tell exactly when cgi is being used and not so yeah do do what you will with that idea um so yeah, that's 2016's Autopsy of Jane Doe. I actually saw it a couple of years ago, but it I've recently rewatched it because it just like I had to rewatch it to see if I could find anything else in there. Um, so yeah. Okay, let's see here. Okay, going back to 2021. Um, I'm gonna go with the. Is it a remake? Is it a sequel? Ah, Candyman from 2021. Uh, directed by Nia DaCosta. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, and, of course, produced by Jordan Peele. Um, this one, I remember when it first came out, a lot of people complained about the the very obvious uh, racial undertones to the story. And I remember my first argument, the first time I, I talked to somebody who went and saw it and they were complaining about that. I'm like, did you ever watch the original Candyman movie? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, then you should know that the, even the original Candyman movie was very, very steeped with like references to, you know, like Cabrini Green was this, it was originally built to be this, you know, uh, you know, like really great place, but then it eventually just kind of got thrown to the side and treated as, you know, basically just the ghetto. Um, but this movie, it, it kind of acts as a sequel. I mean, it, it, you can't argue there it, it acts as a sequel, but it's, you know, you don't need to see the first movie to really watch this one. It's not like... You know, you have to see the first one to understand everything that happens in this one. Um, I think there's there is a moment that definitely, if you've seen the original Candyman from the '90s, it definitely comes across as like, okay, this is a sequel. Um, but it it follows. I do not know names of characters. Once again, I am sorry. I probably I really should have done more research on this, but um. The main character is an artist, like very struggling artist, um, has a has a girlfriend or wife that is um, like I think she she works at a um, like an art studio, and it's very clear that like her that the main character really hasn't you know he he really has kind of struggled with his art. He did a lot of phot- photography, which was which was good, but then he starts, you know, he starts hearing the stories of the legend of Candyman from her, from his girlfriend's like brother. 
And from there, he he like he gets to really digging into the lore of this, you know, this myth of the Candyman. And the deeper he gets, the more it starts to kind of consume him to the point like he sets up a art museum or an art, uh, uh, like an art exhibit uh, where like all the pieces are kind of based on this Candyman lore. Like the main piece is this. I remember it just folds open and there's a mirror in there and it talks about like the, you know, he in front of it, there's this, the thing about the legend of Candyman and how, if you say his name five times into a mirror, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll appear or whatever. Um, and yeah, it's, I mean, this one is way bloodier because I remember the, the original movie was good. And it, it doesn't shy away from showing stuff, but this one definitely shows a lot more gore-wise. Um, and there are subtle references to Virginia Madsen's, and Mad, Madsen's character from the first one. But, yeah, this, this movie is near perfect to me. Like, I, I loved it. Um, the only thing that would have made it better is if they could have had an actual Tony Todd uh, cameo appearance. Um, they kind of found like a way of CGI and Tony Todd into it, and it almost kind of falls apart a little bit there. But it also deepens the lore in a really good way of Candyman to the point that you kind of realize that, yeah, that Tony Todd Candyman that you know from the first one of the you know the the uh, slave that was an artist that drew a you know that did a painting got hired to do a painting of this this rich man's wife or daughter and fell in love with her and their love caused him to be brutally murdered or whatever. And what, or I shouldn't say, or whatever, cause that is what happened and whatnot. But, um, and it kind of passes on the fact that there are many candy men throughout the world. Cause like it introduces the idea of there was a guy that was in Cabrini green at one point in time. And he, um, like he was, known for giving candy out to kids. And one year, all of a sudden, kids started getting candy that had razor blades in it, or I think is what it was. And he became the scapegoat for this. Like, oh, obviously it was this guy, this creepy guy that wants to give kids candy, is giving kids razor blade filled candy. And so it become, you know, he, he kind of becomes like a new, new rendition of the Candyman character. So it keeps along the lines of it is a wronged person um, kind of almost getting their, getting their uh, justice through, or no, I shouldn't even say justice, getting revenge basically through, you know, from beyond the grave, so to speak, um, as the Candyman thing. And yeah, this, this movie... Uh, does really good. Like there is some body horror because, like, as like early in the movie, the main character gets stung by a bee, and then as the movie goes, that that sting just becomes more and more like infected looking. And I remember getting a little nauseous a couple times looking at some of the the practical effects around this hand. Um. Yeah, it's 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 a, like to me it was it it's a great movie. It. It delivers on everything it needs to, to be a faithful su- successor, and it, way better than either of the sequels they did. What in the nineties? Because I remember you had a uh, what Farewell to Flesh and Candyman. I can't remember what the one in Louisiana was called. Um, but yeah, because I, I just remember they did the two sequels, and neither of those two sequels, even though they had Tony Todd back. And that's the only thing that was, I think that was the only thing that was really going for them. Uh, so yeah, 2021. But then again, I really shouldn't, I really shouldn't have doubted this movie because to me, even Jordan Peele's weakest movie, which is probably Nope to me, is, is better than a lot of movies that come out to me. Like I, I, I still need to go back and rewatch Nope. It was good. It just didn't work with me the way get out or us or him producing this one really worked for me. So yeah, 2021's Candyman. 
Um, although I will briefly make one statement. I really wish they'd stop doing these remake, these like sequels where they don't make it clear it's a sequel. Like with this one, just calling it Candyman. So now you got Candyman and you got Candyman, you have to call it what, 20, Candyman 2021 so that people know which one you're talking about. And they did the same thing with like Scream 5 where they just basically called it Scream. It's like, no, you got to give it something so that like it makes it discernible from the original one. And why that bothers me, I don't know, but it does. Um, okay, now I'm going to go way, get in, get in the way back machine to the year I graduated high school. God, I'm old. Um, and that is Cherry Falls from the year 2000, directed by Jeffrey Wright. Um, this is another one I heard about. I want to say I heard about this one on a podcast I listened to called um, Evolution of Horror, where he goes in and like it's this guy that's like has way more time than I have on my hands, apparently, because he goes in and really, really deep dives into horror movies. But he does like each season is about like a specific genre in the horror. So like he has one about vampire movies. He's in like right now he's just started one about home invasion, which I really intrigued to see, you know, like see some of the stuff he covers on that one. Um, but like he did one on slashers, I think was the first season he did was about slashers. And he brings up this movie as an old, kind of like an old Rand kind of thing. Um, and this movie is genius and it's really a shame it never got it never got a foothold. Um it's got a decent cast. You've got Michael Behan playing the the sheriff of this town. Um Brittany, a young Brittany Murphy is in it playing the the main, you know, like kind of the the final girl character. But what makes this movie different is it kind of turns one little aspect of slasher movies on its head. Most slasher movies, you know, it's like, it's, you know, Scream brings it up. You have sex in a horror movie, you're going to die. Well, in this one, if you don't have sex, you're going to die. Because it, the killer is only killing virgins. So, uh, it just makes for, like, a really good kind of flipped narrative, kind of, on the tropes of horror movies. Um... And Brittany Murphy plays the daughter of Michael Behan. And there's a great moment where, you know, when they realize that this killer is killing only virgins, to try to protect his daughter, he sits down and he has, you know, the conversation about sex with her. And he's kind of like trying to delicately ask her if she's had sex. And when she kind of makes it clear she hasn't, he, you know, he asks like i can't remember whether it's like he she makes a comment like she's only been to like second or third base i think or something like that and he he with all the lovingness of a father makes a statement of like well would you ever be interested in going further like trying to influence her to have sex to protect her but the movie goes amazingly bonkers at the end when it's like basically to like the school organ or the, the, the kids at the school organize basically an orgy party to get as many people out of the, the pool of who those can be killed by this killer. And I want to say it's called like the cherry pop and bash or something like that. It is crazy, but this, this movie is really, really well done. Um, I also want to say Jay Moore is in the movie and he's like a, he's like one of the teachers in the school and he plays a really good part too. Like his, his part to the movie is pretty fun, but I think what made this movie stand out so much was the idea that it was like, it kind of takes that, that trope of sex in horror movies and was like, Nope, we're going to, we're going to flip that on you just, just to be something different. And it makes it work. It's a shame it never really got, like I said, never really got the the credit it deserves because it is a really, really good movie. Um, I mean, yeah, it was coming out at a point where 
you know, slasher horror movie in general, horror movies in general were kind of in a, a lull, but slasher movies were really kind of extra, you know, extra burned out, even though Scream, you know, Scream was kind of what pushing through Scream. I think Scream 3 had already come out by that point in time. If not, Scream 3 was, you know, coming out shortly after. Ow. Um, so yeah, this, this, this movie is, it's fun. It's a great little slasher film. Once again, I don't think it's really taking itself overly serious, but that, and you know, it, this movie also drove home how much of a loss it was that Brittany Murphy passed because I really felt like she never really got to show what she could really do. Um, even though I think there were some movies where she really, she really shined. I just don't think she ever got to shine as brightly as she deserved to. Um, so yeah, that, that was Cherry Falls from the year 2000, the year I graduated high school. You do the math. That's how old I am. Um, okay. Now this one is, is technically a cheat. It's actually a twofer, but you kind of do have to, I, I feel like these movies you do have to talk about together. Um, both came out in the same year, which is really, you know, like really rare, but only because the first one was being filmed and they came up, uh, in, during the pandemic and the, the main actress and the director decided, like got to talking and they set up the idea for a sequel and pitched it before they were even done filming the first movie. And it got, it got red lit or green light, got the green light. So they started filming it kind of like shortly after the first one wrapped. And that is Ty West. The movie is directed by Ty West called X and Pearl. Now X kind of is, is in many ways feels like a throwback to like the Texas chainsaw massacre kind of movies. Um, it's a movie about a group of, uh, a group of, well, they never really make it clear how old they are, but you know, this guy that runs a strip club, he's taking some of his strippers and a couple other people, and they are about to go make a porn film. And they've rented this, uh, like, like guest cabin on this person's property to film it in. And so they go, you know, they get to this spot and then from there it turns into kind of, like the, the they're in the wrong house kind of thing because they didn't really tell these these people what they were going to be filming there. They said they were going to be filming a movie, and it's this old woman and old you know old it's this old couple that live in this house that are renting out the guest cabin kind of thing. And it quickly becomes clear that they are not okay with a porn movie being filmed in their thing. Thus, it becomes a kind of a slasher in some ways. Um, like I said, it's very reminiscent of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, other than you don't have the the obvious like Leatherface kind of character. You don't have the like kind of the 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 big hulking serial killer. It's these two old people start killing them. And yeah, it is really fun. Um Mia Goth, the main actress, puts in a hell of a performance. Um and you don't even realize she's putting in two performances in the movie because not only does she play uh, Maxine, the main character, like the main porn star, but she also plays the old lady. And if I wasn't told that, I would never have believed they were the same person. Um, but yeah, so it it's it's a tr- traditional slasher um, in some aspects, but then. Uh, you also have a, a uh, Jenna Ortega has a part in this movie, which she's, you know, she's so hot right now. I mean, she's like everywhere now, thanks to Wednesday and the Scream movies and whatnot. And she puts in a good performance as just like kind of one of the side characters. Um, I really wish I could remember the other actress because there's an actress that started out on like, she started out in like the 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 Disney circle and she... She plays a porn star, like a very filthy porn star in this movie. Um, and she she puts in a great performance too. And it, th- this movie is is genius on so many levels. 
But then that brings us to Pearl, which is a prequel to X. And it kind of explains how this old lady, like the, it kind of gives you more motive to the old lady and her husband, like, you know, this old couple, because it follows Pearl, the, the old lady when she was a kid, you know, when she was younger and she always want, she really wanted to be a dancer, but she, her father was like somehow like, I don't think they ever explained like he was, he was injured somehow. So he's, you know, like he's practically a vegetable kind of thing. And her mom is just like this, like completely strict, like borderline, like freaking, uh, I don't know the best word to describe her. She's a tyrant of this household and she doesn't believe her daughter should be, you know, like, you know, a dancer isn't a, isn't a true profession. And, you know, but Pearl is very dedicated. She really would like to be a dancer with the hopes of being like being in Hollywood at some point. Cause like she sneaks away whenever she has to go into town to get supply, you know, supplies for their farm or whatever. She'll sneak in and walk, like sneak out to see a movie. Um, and there was like this one that really captured her because it does take place in the, okay. X takes place in like the seventies. And this one, I think, is supposed to be like the 20s or 30s because it's like it's it's silent movies kind of thing. Um, but there's this one she saw like she saw over and over again that was, you know, very much about, um, you know, like very much centered around these dancers and it captured her. And then she befriends the, the guy at the um, like the projectionist of this this theater. And he he shows her that, you know that what she's seen is only the ed- like the edge of things because you know he had just gotten back from a war or something and he shows so he shows her a stag film and opens up her you know like basically opens her vision to what what the world really is in some ways and like she has a fling with him even though she's engaged to her husband or her her fiance is off at war or whatever at the time and yeah, it's just, it is an uncomfortable movie to watch, but it really, really works. Um, I don't know. I can't remember if I've talked about this. I want to say I might have already talked about this one at some point in time, but I can't remember. But I just remember it ends with like her smiling at the camera when he, when her fiance comes home and like, it's an uncomfortably long take of her just like credits are rolling over her face while she's just standing there smiling. And it's not like they didn't just like freeze frame the image. It's like clearly Mia goth just standing there smiling and it looks so uncomfortable because like the smile is like wavering at points. Like her eyes are almost not the, the, the smile doesn't touch her eyes sometimes, so to speak. It's just creepy, but yeah, both of them, and, I, and I'm really in, in in that. I'm really excited for the third one, which is going to the '80s, I believe, and it's going to be following the Mia Goth character from this from X, that was the porn star, and like her because like she's whatever she's the only survivor of the fir- of X, and so it's like her, I think, in Hollywood, uh, in the '80s trying to break into to Hollywood or maybe she's still in the porn industry. I don't know. I haven't really probably is a porn industry because the Maxine is spelled with three X's. Um, but that could also just be a subtle reference to it's a third movie in the series. And I'm, but either way, I'm really excited to see what Ty West and Mia Goth came up with for this third piece and see if it nails the landing for a third. Um, so yeah, that's, I think that's, that's pretty much my time for this episode. Um, so yeah, uh, like, oh, here I'll uh, quickly break down those movies again. Um, so we had Smile from twenty twenty two, Malignant from twenty twenty one, Wormwood Apocalypse from twenty twenty one. God, there's a lot from twenty twenty one. Anyways, um, Autopsy of jo- Jane Doe from twenty sixteen. Uh, Candyman, the new Candyman from 2021. See, that's why they can't name them together. 
uh, X and Pearl from 2022, and then Cherry Falls from 2000. Um, please go out, watch some of these, give them a shot. I think all these ones deserve to be seen, even though most of them have probably been seen plenty. Give them a shot if you haven't seen them. Um, and heck, if you want to tell me that I'm wrong, I'm right about something, maybe there's one that I haven't, you know, maybe there's a movie I haven't heard of that you really think I need to see. Please email me at standstrongcast at gmail.com. Um, you know, yeah, send me your suggestions, questions. If you have any ideas for topics that you think would be interesting, send them my way, please. I, I look forward to hearing from anybody who's out there listening. So with that, I'm going to say thank you to thank you for listening. And yeah, thank you to everybody, all the usual people for, for their support and whatnot through, through me doing this. And I guess I will talk to you in two weeks. Bye-bye. <laughs>